want to honour a couple of families this morning. I really want to honour the, um, the Kendalls and the Eckharts for taking the front seat. People who sit in the front seat don't get honoured enough in churches. And that's probably because there's normally no one there. And, uh, so it's really good to have somebody in the front seat today. Um, I want to welcome also uh, anybody who's new here today. There's a few new faces that I see. Some have been here once or twice before, some who are not, uh, haven't been here before. So I really want to welcome you guys. We've had, uh, as Mark's, Matt said, a whole lot of people kind of transition out to plant a new church. And uh, it's great to see the seats starting to being filled already. So that's, that's great. One, before I just get started, I wanted to talk to you guys about just a little bit about Road to Bethlehem. Who's been to Road to Bethlehem? Ah, most people, but some haven't. Okay. Road to Bethlehem is put on by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but we still go to it anyway. Okay? <laughs> okay? They're part of us. It's all right. Road to Bethlehem is run in, it's in Nunawadding, and what it is is basically it's a, it's a play, and essentially every six minutes there's a group of about 30 or 40 people kind of wander through, and they go to each different station on the road to Bethlehem. So it starts in the angel Gabriel, I think, and Mary, and then it ends up in the stable with Jesus being born. And we found it really, as, as a family, particularly with young kids, it's been really good for us to, to, to tell the Christmas story in a way that's just a little bit different, just brings it, brings it a little bit more to life. And I think the first time that we went, um, there's a bit of a surprise when you get to the, to the tent where Jesus is, and we were just, I was just overwhelmed. It was just amazing. So um, I think I um, just wanted to tell you guys about that. It's on from the 9th. Monday the 9th to Thursday to the 12th of December, it runs sort of a whole week and stop waving at me. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's my wife, sorry, this, she's the prompt, the auto prompt. She's not on the screen, but she's right in front of me. Um, it's, uh, it is isn't a bit of an outreach thing where you can take families along who, who perhaps um, don't know the real meaning of Christmas, but it's, it's not super in your face and it's real, there's a lot of stuff, face painting and things like that for the kids to get done. Um, but it is great to book ahead because it's super busy. And if you want a particular time of the night, if you want to get anywhere before about 10 o'clock in the evening, book ahead. Because if you roll up on the night, even if you roll up at 6 o'clock, you'll find that you're being booked in from 9.30 onwards. And then you've got a long time to wait. Okay, this morning I just wanted to um, talk to you a little bit about, about money. And uh, I know everybody kind of shudders and some people switch off when the church starts to talk about money because we always have this sort of thought in the back of our head that the church, when they talk about money, is asking for money. And uh, I'm not going to ask for money this morning, although if you want to, I'm open to that. But um, I really want to talk about how to manage money in a biblical way, the biblical way to manage money. And uh, some of you remember I started this series uh, a number of months ago uh, with one talk. Uh, it was actually, well, no, it was 15 months ago it was, uh, <laughs> a fair while ago. And uh, that was actually on the first day of the new tax year. Uh, it was on the 1st of July in 2012. And uh, that, I call that one Mining the Business. And um, I don't know if anybody remembers what the key thought from the last message was. Nobody's brave. You're sitting there going, as if. <laughs> a sermon from 15 months ago. Um, yes, thank you. Oh, Jenny, you do remember something. Jenny bought, Jenny bought a second-hand car. Well done, Jenny. Yeah, yeah, she paid, she paid cash. For, okay, that was the thing. She paid cash for it, wasn't it? Yeah, well done. 
Okay. If we can't remember, let me ask you out with a question. Who here has their own business? Put your hand up if you run your own business. Okay. We've got some hands, but not the hands I was looking for. Our talk on the, the last talk talked about, we looked at a couple of parables that told us about how God owns everything. And the business that God has given us is to manage his money properly, to be good stewards. And so our business is to make sure that the money that comes through our hands gets managed the way that God wants it managed. So I'll ask again, who here has their own business? Uh, everybody has their own business. That's right. Okay, let's move on. Um, I've, read, uh, I've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I don't know if anybody else has read these books. And this, this one this year, More Wealth from Residential Property. Um, but I've never read The Millionaire Next Door. It's an American book, and it was um, the premise of the book is um, the guys sort of sent out researchers, and they went into uh, the wealthy neighbourhoods in America because they wanted to know how the wealthy dealt with money, how they thought about money, how did they invest, um, you know, how much money did they have. And the interesting thing is when they got there, they discovered that there was no money there. In the wealthy neighbourhoods, there was lots of stuff. There were big houses, there was cars, there were jet skis, there were everything else that goes along with that, 50-inch plasma TVs, whatever, but there was no money. And they were a little confused. And so what they did is they, they stepped down. They came back to the sort of the middle class area of, uh, of America and they discovered what they call the millionaire next door. And these are the kind of people that, you know, the average everyday person, the person who lives across the road from you, who did something that's not very common these days. They lived within their means. Now, for those young people here, that means that you didn't spend what you didn't have. You lived within what you got. And uh, so these people, uh, they... Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, they lived on what they had, yeah. So, so they bought used cars. They really spent more than $20 on a watch. Um, every time they did something, they thought about the consequences of what they were going to do. Um, and the bulk of the money you'll find is often in the home of the regular-looking person who lives next door. Um, and the people who live in these big showy houses uh, are very often, not always, but very often pretenders. They're pretending to live a lifestyle that they really can't afford. And Proverbs 13.7 says, One man pretends to be rich, but in truth has nothing. That's the pretender. Another verse, Proverbs 12.9, Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than to pretend to be a somebody and be broke. It's a pretender. So what do we have in our country today? You might say we have two groups of people. We have the haves and the have-nots or the have-not-yet-paid. So what's the problem? What I talked about last year, one of the foundational problems we've got is this, this sort of thing now where 20 and 30-year-olds moving out of home, moving into their first house, expecting to have everything that their parents have got, that their parents have worked for 20 or 30 or 40 years to attain. And... They want to live the, the same lifestyle, and they think they deserve it. 
And it doesn't always happen that easy. And so how do they get the lifestyle that their parents have? They go into debt. They go into debt to fund something that they think they want right now. And so it, the key verse for the last message uh, was the rich, where are we? the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. They're in the bank's pockets and they're pretenders. Another foundational problem I think that we've got uh, in this country in particular, in the Western world, if you like, is that we've, we're not asking the right questions when we go to purchase something. The question we ask now is, how much is it going to cost me up front and what are the repayments going to be? And it's the wrong question because we're not taking into account the full effect of what the decision we're about to make. So just asking what the first payment is and what the repayments are going to be over a period of time doesn't take into effect all the lost opportunities that are going to come down the track. And so we've forgotten to ask what the real cost is. So our marriages get stressed because money is one of the big things that everybody finds hard to agree on, I think, within marriages a lot of the time. Because uh, we're fighting and worrying about finances. And we can't give our kids the opportunities because we bought things that we didn't need with money that we didn't have to impress people we don't even like. We're pretenders. And really, that puts us into bondage. And so what is the real cost of biblical, or unbiblical, I should say, uh, stewardship? See, in our country, we just believe debt is normal. And I found this wonderful little graph. Um, and I'm going to use my little laser pointer here, I think. Here we go. So if you look at this graph, this is kind of what's happened with mortgages over the last 150 years or so. You can see in 1861, about 2% of people, of houses, had a mortgage attached to them. And that kind of stayed the same right through to about sort of 1925-ish, where it went up to maybe, maybe 10%, 10 or 12% of people had mortgages on their houses. It peaked in 2010. In 2010, there were only 2% of houses that didn't have a mortgage on them. And so to fund this whole, we must have what we want right now, we've gone from this 2% of mortgages up to 98% of houses in Australia that have mortgages in them. That's how fast our mindset has changed. So my question, I guess, is what's the real cost? What's the real cost of this? And I thought of a little um, example that might help illustrate it. The average Australian, you might want to write this down because this is interesting. How much do you think the average Australian owes in credit card debt? Any guesses? Ooh, that's a good guess. 20, 20 grand. That's a good credit card. Seven and a half, okay. We're all over the place, so which tells me they don't really know. I'm going to go with the first one because the first one was a good guess. I found this, this website where you can actually watch the debt ticking over. And it's kind of this little counter that's continually changing. So Australia's credit card debt is $34 billion. $34 billion of money we spent that we don't have. And the average debt per cardholder, so that's per cardholder. Now, if you've got three cards, that's three times that. 4,361 or close enough to four and a half grand. Now, let's say you're making the minimum payment on that credit card. 
And let's say the interest rate is 20%, which is pretty, pretty close. If you're making a minimum payment, how long do you think it'll take to pay off that debt? A long time. A long time. If you're making a minimum payment, it will take you somewhere in the neighbourhood of around 42 years to pay off that debt. Now, some of you will be dead. <laughs> in fact, even if you're only 20 or 30 years old now, you may well be dead by the time you pay that debt off, which means what you leave, the, 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 what you leave to your children is a debt. Um, not only that, you'll pay over $20,000 on that. So for a $4,000, $4,300 debt, you'll pay $20,807 to pay it off if you pay the minimum payments. So what's the real cost? Let's say you're not going to be like everybody else. Let's say that you're going to buy, not going to buy just whatever you want. Instead, you're going to be prayerful. Uh, you're going to have self-discipline. You're going to make your decisions based on what God tells you to do. And instead of owing that $4,361.80, let's say you do what Nanny used to tell you to do, and that's save it. Let's say you save that amount of money. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Let's say you put that payment into an investment which earned maybe 10% a year. So if it earned 10% a year over that 42-year period, um, what would you have then? Instead of being in debt for those 42 years and you invested 10%, 10, 42 years later you would have $440,740. And uh, that's kind of what I call you know, face palm time. It's like, ah, I had no idea what the real cost of my debt was. So the cost of that small debt is actually $440,000 if it was used differently if it was used wisely. And I think the vast majority of people these days don't understand these figures or haven't ever really thought about it deeply enough. It's a bit like people outside the church not ever thinking about the real first-order questions of life deeply enough and so life just continues on. And they say, what are those people in the church doing? And the difference is we've thought deeply about those first-order questions and they haven't. And money is no different. So some of you have cats. Who has a cat? You can't train cats. Okay? You can kick them. You can pop them in a bag. No, I can't. But you, can, you can't train them. But you can train dogs. Okay? You can train dogs. Now, but if your dog, if I go to your place and your dog jumps up and licks me all over the place and you're going to say, don't you like my dog? I'm going to say, no, I don't like your dog. Train your dog. And money's no different. You need to train your money. Train it. To behave, train it to do what you want it to do. So let's look at the heart behind you know, what we're talking about today. It's basically getting control of your money. Proverbs 28, 25, 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. If you didn't have control of money in any part of your life, you're like a city whose walls are broken down. You're vulnerable to whatever comes along, whatever happens. You're like the little kid in Big W who wants a toy or a candy bar, you know, and the, and the parent goes, no, little Johnny, but I want it. No, no, Johnny, I'll get you something when we get it. No, I want it now. No, no, we're going, no, okay, okay, okay. I'll get it for you. Just be quiet and I'll get it for you. 
And some of us still have that little kid inside us. When we go into a store, we, we see something, we've got to shut that little kid up. Because he's still yelling, I want it, and I want it now. And now you have the means to buy it, whether it be by the money you have or whether it be by credit. So ladies, can we talk for a minute? I just want to talk to the ladies for a minute. Take control. Okay? Guys, you can chime in with an amen anytime you like. Take control. Okay? Oh, I got a new hairdo. Why? Oh, because it, it goes with my earrings. And my, my earrings go with my new shoes that I bought last week. And my new shoes go with the slacks that I've always wanted. And I've got a new belt. Thank you. Thank you, brother, for that amen. So, guys, you're not going to get off easy, okay? Now, guys, you don't do it as often, okay? But when you do it, you do it big time. Guys like the big purchases, okay? Oh, I was just out, honey, and somebody had their holiday house for sale, so I bought it. You know? Look at my hair. Honey, I was just at a service station. Someone rolled up with a lawnmower in the back of their truck, and so I bought it. <laughs> well, thankfully, you paid cash for that. Right. You did? Yeah? Cashish. Okay, thank you. Jet skis. Look at my jet skis. You know, guys, they come, out, they come back with a new hairdo. You come back with twin jet skis on a trailer. Okay? That's the difference. We don't do it as often, but we still do it. And our purchases are quite often substantially larger than what the women are. Or a Segway, maybe. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. Get control. Men and women. Get control. I did pay cash for that, Laura. Thank you. Okay. If you're taking notes, here's what we're going to do. Here's the thought, the key thought for today. We're going to learn to say no for a little while so we can say yes for the rest of our lives. We're going to say no for just a little while. So for the rest of our lives, we can say yes. No to the things that everybody else thinks are necessary. And yes to the things that God says are necessary. So we're not going to be into material things. We're going to live below our means, beneath our means. We're going to act our wage. We're going to invest. We're going to pay off debt. We're going to say no for a little while, so for the rest of our lives we can say yes, yes to whatever God calls us to do. Because let me tell you, if you're in financial stress, you can't say yes that easily. Oh, there's a ministry with a need. Yes, I can help. Oh, someone in our family is in financial difficulty again. Praise the Lord, we can help. What's that, honey? You want a swimming pool? Praise the Lord, dig the hole. <laughs> Let's put in a diving board too. Because we said no for a small amount of time to say yes for the rest of our lives. When, when we moved into our current house, we, we were in what's called a line of credit. I don't know if anyone else has ever been in a line of credit, but you've got to be really disciplined if you have a line of credit. And we weren't all that disciplined at that time. 
And so over the next four years, this is the house we currently live in, we made our payments, we lived our life, and at the end of those four years, we owed exactly what we owed when we moved into the house. We had got absolutely nowhere. Um, then I heard this message. I mean this message, the one I'm giving you. <laughs> um, it's from Craig Groeschel. So you can look it up online and watch him do it better than me if you want. But this message changed my life. Because this, I started to actually put into practice some of the things that he was telling me. And let me tell you, it does work. So over the past six years, we've been in the house 10 years now. So the first four years, we got nowhere. In the past six years, we've erased all our debts on our cars. We own, we own them both. Um, we've made some, some investments. And we've completely paid off our house. Because this stuff works. Now, Dave Rogers can vouch for me here. When uh, we went to China, probably about the same time that we'd, we were getting nowhere on our house mortgage, and this is just to prove it, and there's Stacy in the middle. See Stacy in the middle? Little Stacy. And while we were there, we were kind of, I was, when I'm on holiday, I'm kind of stingy. I think it's the nicest, just the nicest way to say it. Um, I'm very careful with what, what happens with my money when I'm on holiday. And, and, and Dave, whilst not the opposite, is slightly looser. Um, than I was. And so Stacy would be constantly asking, Dad, can I have this? Because you know, in China and stuff, there's markets and there's, there's cheap stuff around. And Can I have that? Can I have that? And, and, uh, and I, would, um, I would be saying, no, no, we'll just, uh, we'll just wait. And yeah, okay, okay, but it's three bucks that could be used somewhere, <laughs> somewhere else. And um, <laughs> so, so what, partway through the trip, Dave sort of kind of started te teasing me. And every time I'd say no to Stacey, he'd go, I hear this little squeaky noise. And I'm saying, what is that? And he goes, you're so tight, you squeak when you walk. <laughs> and so he'd be kind of, so every time we come along, in the end, Stacey started asking Dave for money and he would give it to her. He would give it to her, which kind of undermined my parenting, but still, it was kind of this, he'd make this, as I walked, he'd make this squeaking noise. And... Um, <laughs> But what I was doing, I was, I was saying no for a little while so I can say yes for the rest of my life. And my family has this saying that, that I do, and they, they call it shooting from the hip. And most, I think I won't be the only dad who does this, but it's kind of like when our kids come to us to ask for something, we have these two guns. Yeah, two guns. And they say, Dad can have... No! <laughs> dad, how much? Nothing! And so I have this no-nothing gun that kind of happens all the time, and it still happens to this very day, because the sums they're asking for now are even higher. But, and, and we laugh about it in our family, but the fact is they haven't gone without anything, okay? And my no and my nothing <laughs> have been well used, and uh, I've become very, very good. You call me the fastest gun in the, what are we, the southeast? And... Uh, but it's just practice. It's just practice at saying no. And I've got very good at it. And, uh, but it's not that hard. It's not that hard to say no. In fact, it's the first word we learn, really. Yeah. Most kids learn. The first word they learn is no. Okay, so let's practice. Okay? On the count of three, we're going to say no. Okay? One, two. Okay, you've got to be able to count. Okay? One, two, three. Mm. 
It was, that wasn't bad. It was a little non-committal. Come on. One, two, three. No. Much better. Much better. Okay, ladies, let's try this. Do you really need to get your nails done? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Do we need to get our teeth done? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I could take them out and let you be the judge, I guess, but... Let me talk for a moment about ladies' nails since you brought it up. Girls, have you ever in your life heard one guy say to another guy, check out the set of nails on her? <laughs> they have got to be fake. There's no way they're real. Guys just don't say that. They don't say that. No, that's right. So who are we impressing? The other girls. The other girls. Oh. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay, we found a use for fake nails. That they're good for back... Trent likes back scratches with fake nails. That's an expensive way to get a back scratch, right? So, guys, do you really need to go golfing twice a week? Yes. See, we've been... Ca- I mean, it's, it's great. It's great and it's humorous. Um, but it's... But it's it kind of lacks that commitment. When we say no, we need to say no. Okay? No to those things that cost, that we think we need. Because, I mean, who needs a set of nails? I mean, you were born with them. They're going to grow if you let them. Okay? You don't need a set of nails. Guys, golfing, maybe once a week. Twice a week, mm, you could probably use that money somewhere else. Okay, that's enough participation. <laughs> Okay, we all laugh, but, it's, but it, you know what I mean? It's, it, we, we, we are so used to being able to say yes and justify the little expenses and the little things that we buy. You know, do we really need? Do I really need a newer home? No, I don't. I don't need a newer home. Do I really need a brand new car right now? No, I don't. I don't need it. I mean, it goes down 20% the day I drive it out of the lot. Okay? Do I really need my $5 boost juice when I go to Fountain Gate so I look good with my green thing in my hand? Ooh, that cuts quick. That cuts close, doesn't it? It was nice and silent then, weren't you all? Eh? Do I nearly need my $5 coffee on the way to work every day? Mmm. Mmm. I mean, do you need those things for quality of life? It's discipline. It's discipline. It's discipline. You say no for a little while, so you say yes for the rest of your life. Now, something that's really helpful that I find is, is pray before you pay. It's just a little saying, but pray before you pay. And if you're going to develop a budget and begin to do things with some discipline, um, you're going to, what's going to happen is once you start to put that budget together, you're going to walk into Target or you're going to be watching one of the shopping channels on TV and uh, you're going to see... Um, oh, I can't even remember what it's called now. I've got it written down here somewhere. The Rolly Eggmaster. You're going to see the Rolly Egg Mask. Can you run that ad for me, Brad, please? This is going to be very tempting. Making <laughs> 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 
cakes, every dollar just fries, sports, and rolling egg batter pops up delicious eggs in minutes. It cooks your eggs just like a real bag without all the butter, fat, and fats. Look at that, and what makes rolling eggs really great is their new easy-to-eat shape. It's a delicious bacon and egg rolling for breakfast. Or vegetable egg white rolling for a healthy lunch. Oh, it's cool. just no, you just fry, pour, and watch them pop up in no time. The secret is virtual cooking technology. It wow. combines the cylindrical pot with cooking surface, surrounded by a revolutionary heating element. So your eggs pop up the pot, fluffy, and perfectly cooked. And because of their round shape, you can take them for a quick meal on the run. Or serve a bite sized party fun. Or you can have fantastic flavor to salads and sandwiches. And eggs are just the beginning. Make a tasty rolling burrito, a perfect pizza roll, or a cinnamon roll for a delightful dessert. It's perfect for the office, RV, or dorm room. Plus, clean up with a breeze. Simply all this mess and let's go to make perfect eggs that taste their best. Okay. So, yeah, they're for sale. Twenty nine ninety nine plus ten dollars fifty postage. Now, if you, if I hadn't have talked about that this morning, some of you, and if, even while I'm showing the ad, some of you are going, that could, that could, it's pretty good. I, I reckon I could, I could do with one of those. How many of you all have a fry pan? You all got a fry pan? Yeah. Fry pan can cook eggs. Okay. It has for hundreds of years and it still can. The Rolly Egg Master can do it, but do you need it? No. All right. No, no, you do not. You do not need it. Walk away, okay? When you see it on the shelf, walk away and nobody gets hurt, okay? <laughs> now, I like to say, if you find a purchase like that that you think you need and it's under $100, commit to pray for three days. Three days. It's not that long. And if after the end of the three days you feel that God really wants you to have the egg, or I can't even say it, the roly egg master, then go back and buy it. That's fine. But you, you can just see what happens. The minute you walk away from it and say, I'm going to pray for three days, your passion for the roly egg master <laughs> declines. Okay? The minute you walk away from it. Now, if it's between $100 and $1,000, okay, so let's say we've got iPhone fever, you know, I've got to have that iPhone because, uh, you know, I can't go to church with an old-fashioned Bible. I've got to have the Bible on my phone. Otherwise, I'm not cool. Um, and I've got a Bible on my phone, by the way, so it includes me. But if you're going to make that purchase, okay, commit to pray for a whole week. Okay? Wait a whole week before you do. And let it cool down. And uh, guys, this is, this is a category now where I'm really vulnerable, the big expenses. Okay? If it's something that's over $1,000, all right, nice round figure, um, commit to wait and pray for a month. Okay? One month. And if you still want it, go and get it at the end of that month. But the, the idea is don't give in to the impulse of everybody has this and therefore I must. Um, it's, it's a big expense. $1,000. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a person who lacks self-control. So get control of your money and make it behave. Well, not up to that yet. This is what a... Um, what the scripture says, Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. The plans of the diligent leads to profit as surely as the haste leads to poverty. And that's why as Christ followers, we seek to follow God and develop his business plan. 
And we do it, we're going to develop a personal business plan. And why? Because the plans of the diligent lead to profit. As sure as haste leads to poverty. So we're going to make a business plan. And your plan is going to include three different things. We're going to build what we call an oh-no fund. Now, an oh-no fund, some of you call it the oh-something-else fund, and you've got to stop that because that doesn't honour God. <laughs> it's the, when something breaks, right? Your fridge goes on the blink, or someone backs into your car, or something like that, and you have to spend somewhere in the region of up to $1,000. The oh-no fund is there for that situation, Okay. It's the one thing, the first thing that you have to have. $1,000 in your bank account that's not touched. Set it aside. Uh, now, how do we get that $1,000? Well, get creative. This is what eBay was made for, okay? You've got stuff lying around your house that you have never used, you're never going to use, and someone else who doesn't, hasn't heard this message really wants that thing, okay? <laughs> Put it on eBay and sell it. You'll be surprised how quickly you can make $1,000. Um, you know, take, another, take a second-hand job, another job. Whatever it takes, sell some old footy cards, jewellery you never wear, you know, fake nails, whatever. Sell them, anything but your children. Okay? <laughs> children are out of bounds. Don't sell your kids. Um, and make that first $1,000. Okay? Now, the second thing is that we're going to eliminate overheads. So we're going to reduce the debt that we have. And most people have debt. So what I'm about to show you is what, what the uh, guy in, in America, Dave Ramsey, calls the debt snowball. Um, and so let's, let's have a bit of a look at the screen because I've kind of got it played out there and have a look at how to do it because once you get the concept of this, removing your debt will be really quite simple. Okay, Not easy, but the concept is simple. So the first column uh, here has... Um, all the stuff that we owe. So that's our debts that we owe. So Maya, we owe four fifty. The good guys, six fifty. We owe our parents sixteen hundred bucks. We owe the Visa card eighteen hundred, which is quite low, really. Uh, we owe the car seven grand uh, for our car loan, and we've got a hex debt from when we did our study to get our degree of nine grand. Okay, so that's a, that's what we owe. The next column here shows the minimum repayments that we have to make each month on those debts. Now. As we've already looked at, the minimum repayment doesn't get you real far, real quick. So what we're going to do is you're going to find another $200 per month. Okay? Sounds hard, I know. 200 bucks. But be creative. Okay? Second job might do it. Now, whatever you have to do, make the $200. Now, the $200 makes a huge difference. So here's how it plays out, okay? Maya card owes $450. Our $50 here is going to take us nine months to pay it off. But if we've got our $200, we add that to the $50 that we already pay, we now have $250. And in two payments, the Maya debt is gone, okay? Then we move on to the next one, the good guys, which is a really, it's a bit of a, a funny name, isn't it, the good guys? Because all they want is your money, the good guys. So the good guys... So you owe them $650 and you're only paying $30 a month. So now we're going to add the $250 to the $30. So where do we get the $250? We've got the $250 is the $50 that we freed up that we were paying, the $200 a month we're now making. We add that to the $30 and we have $280. All right? Two and a half months and the good guys is gone. And the debt starts to snowball. Okay? Next thing we do is our parents. I'm sorry, parents, that the third thing that we're tackling is the parents, but 
what we're doing is we're tackling, trying to tackle the ones with the highest percentage of interest first. I want to slip the parents in there somewhere. So 1600 bucks that you owe your parents, $200 is your minimum repayment. So to that $200, we owe the 280 that we've now freed up by paying off both of these, and we're now paying 480 to our parents. Four payments, and the parents are free, and the parents will thank you for that. So then we move on to Visa Card, $1,800. we have got $30 bucks there. We had the $480 now that we freed up to the $30, and we now have $510, and in three and a half payments, the Visa Card is gone. All it takes is a bit of discipline, and the debt starts to snowball. Okay? You get down to the bottom here to the hex debt, and you end up with a figure of $1,110. And essentially, the difference is here, before um, you were paying it off, um, minimum repayments, you were looking at 120 months of repayments. So that's 10 years. 10 years to pay off all those debts. The difference this extra $200 a month makes, if you do it properly, is 21, uh, sorry, is you're paying it off in 21 months. So there's a difference of 99 months. 99 months difference. So if you take that 99 months then that you would have been paying debt and now invest the $1,110 that we have. So where do we get the 1110 bucks? That's all the debt we're no longer paying off. This figure here, $1,110 we've now freed up per month. If we invest that at 10% for 99 months, which is the, the time that we freed up, we would have 186 and a half grand. Staggering, isn't it? And it works, or you're going to sleep. <laughs> you're shocked. It works. It kind of rolls down and it works. Now, how will it benefit you in the long run? So what, what, what this does is wipes out pretty much every debt except your house. Okay, <clears throat> House debt's a little bit bigger than that and it takes a little bit longer to wipe off. But once you've wiped off these debts, imagine putting that extra payment into your house each month. Okay, How quickly that would bring the house down. So in the long run, <clears throat> um, we're going to be ahead. So number one is to build the oh no fund. Number two is to eliminate, reduce the debt. Um, and number three, if you're taking notes, <clears throat> is to build the reserve fund. So a reserve fund is three months of living expenses. So this is for the situation where not just the fridge breaks down, but you lose your job. Okay? This is what you need. I, I call it the buffer the buffer fund or the reserve fund, three months. So you know that you are okay to live with your family for three months if anything goes drastically wrong. For three months, you're okay, which normally within those months, you'll find a new job or you'll find a means to support them. So they're the three sort of things to do, build the reserve fund. Um, and it'll cost you. I mean, if it costs you two, months, two, two grand a month to live, then you need to save six grand. If it costs you six grand a month to live, you need to save 18 grand. But whatever it is, it's kind of this figure that needs to be untouched in your bank balance. Okay? You put it aside and know that that's for a rainy day, and rainy days do come. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, and trouble does come. So I, I can hope you can see the power of that and, uh, and how that works. Um, and the key really is just to say no for a little while. So you can say yes for the rest of your life. In 10 years or less, you can be completely free of debt. And it, it can happen because we've done it. You can be completely free. 
And the difference that makes is how you can then honour God with your finances. Okay? Um, let's just go back to the heart of, heart of the matter. This is the, really the heart of the matter. Jesus said, you can, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Last time I spoke last year, I, I did a little example um, where we talked about what you'd be willing to shift to another city for. How much money would it take to make you shift? And we got to 120000 extra a year. If I was to give you $120,000 extra a year, would you shift to Perth? Okay? And nearly everybody said yes. And then I said, if Pastor Mark was offered $120,000 a year to shift to a church in Perth, should he go? And everybody said, no, he shouldn't. Why? Well, I don't know why you said he shouldn't, but my sense of it is that he's serving God here, and so therefore he shouldn't serve money. So my question is, if you will go for $120,000 to Perth, who are you serving? Nearly done. We serve God. We don't serve money. We're, we're not of this world. We live in it, but we're not of it. And we're not driven by the things that this world has to have. We're living for a higher calling. And... Uh, the things that we have here are not to have a hold on us. So, you know, having money is not bad, okay? Uh, being poor doesn't necessarily make you more spiritual, okay? Being rich doesn't make you more spiritual either. Um, you know, in, in many cases, having money is really, really good because the things you can do with it are amazing. It's a tool and we need to make it behave. Love of money is dangerous, Okay. And, and quite often, God won't bless you. If you have a love of money, God's not going to bless you with it anyway. Okay? Until you get yourself in the position where you know how money should be treated. So I use money all the time. I buy, I buy time with my money. I've got options with my money. I use it to bless others. In fact, Deanna uses it to bless others, really. I have to keep making it because she keeps giving it out. Um, and she, she's the generous one in our family. Um, I use it to bless my family. I enjoy it. I give it. And it's under control. And you can get there too. You can get there. So we don't serve money, we serve God. And uh, if you remember, the borrower is a servant to the lender. We don't want to be a servant. We're only the servant of the Lord Jesus. That's all. Not a servant to money. So make a plan, like we've talked about. Stick with it. And then follow the Spirit of God. And say no for a little while so that you can say yes for the rest of your life. Yes to everything that God calls you to do. Now that's the end of my message, but I just want to add a little bit of a footnote. If you are a born-again believer and you do not tithe, none of this will work. None of it will work. Because God has to be first in all things. And that means finances as well. And so it's, not, I'm just, it's kind of a warning, I guess, is that if you're excitedly taking down this information and thinking, this is how I'm going to do, and you don't tithe, then it doesn't work. 
Because God has to have the first preeminence in everything. And so if you give him your first tenth or twentieth, no, not twentieth, fifth, <laughs> that was going down, wasn't it? Give him the first tenth, um, he will, he will honour you. Because it, the, the principle is if you give the first tenth, the rest will be blessed. And I would rather have 90% of my income that's blessed than 100% that's cursed. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, want to come before you today, Lord, and admit that uh, at times we are not great money managers. Lord, at times we, <clears throat> we make impulse purchases. We, we buy things that we don't need. And Lord, we're in a pickle. We're in a financial pickle. And Father, we need your help to get out. Lord, I thank you that the Bible provides wisdom on all things and that money was one of the main things you talked about. Behind the kingdom of God, you talked about, Jesus talked about money more than almost anything else because he knows what a grip it has on our lives. The Father, I thank you that you've given us a way to break free, that your word contains wisdom in how to break free of the hold of money. And Lord, we don't want to be rich. Father, we just want to be able to be generous. We want to be able to give when needs arise. We want to be people who are self-disciplined, Lord, and who are under control. And so, Father, we want to get our finances under control. So, Lord, I pray that today that you would just plant in our hearts a desire to be free. Free of anything that would inhibit us being the people you want us to be. Being as generous as you want us to be. And, Lord, I thank you for your word. It's the word of life. That our life can be much more abundant, Lord, when we follow what you, have us, what you would have us do. In Jesus' name. Amen. I have, I have some, some worksheets. The, the stuff that I did, I go back to that, that sheet, that sort of stuff there. I've got some blank ones if people would like to have them. Um, I've probably printed enough, enough out for one per family. Um, yeah. And uh, all it is, is it's basically the same thing, but it's... it's uh, it's all blank and you can just fill out what all your debts are, etc. And it's a good exercise to do because when you write out all your individual debts and you just go, whoa, it's kind of a self-assessment. I love doing self-assessment because it's, it's kind of looking at where you're at. Okay? So write it down and then work through the debt snowball and how you can get rid of that. I've also got some printouts here for, uh, for small groups if you're interested to discuss this stuff further because it's good to talk about it. It's okay to hear someone kind of talk about it from the front, but it's good to get together with your small group, your Activate group, and talk about what your, imp your biggest impulse purchase has been and, and, and all that sort of stuff and what your attitude towards money is. Uh, money is just a tool, and if we make it behave, then our life will be much better. Okay. Thank you for listening. Bit of a lecture, I know. I'm sorry about that, but um, I love talking about money because money is one of the things that has a hold on a lot of people. And I've been in a lot of churches um, that have been poor churches. And by that I mean there's never been any money to be able to be released for ministry because we're paying off debt, whether it's the church's debt or whether it's personal debt. Um, you know, I had, a, <laughs> I had a priest, this is a footnote as well, I had a priest <laughs> at our Catholic church many, many years ago. The, it was the, just after the $100 note had just been printed and uh, he said um, it was a centenary of our local parish church.
And so it was packed, there was big celebrations, and then the time came for the offering. And uh, he's, he's, he's preempt, he preempted the offering by saying, I believe the $100 note was made for this occasion. And of course, everybody's, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, no, it's not. But you know what? It was. The $100 note was made for that occasion. But the people in the church didn't have the right attitude towards the money, weren't free enough to be able to give it. I've often thought about that over the years, how, how pushy he was as a, as a priest saying that we should give the money. But my attitude's changed about that because I think now that the ch- if you're going to invest in anything, the church is the best thing to invest in by far because God gets the money and people benefit from it. Okay. So have a great day. For those of you who are new, please stay around and uh, enjoy some morning tea and a cup of coffee and talk about your debt. <laughs> See you.